You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn Midtown. In this series, we are following Jesus as He calls us to take on His yoke so that we may experience true flourishing. Peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is Matthew 27, verses 45 to 61. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sakbathani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly this was the Son of God. There were also many women there, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, this morning, perhaps there are many of us who feel overwhelmed by the darkness and the gloom of Crucifixion Friday. But Father, we pray that this morning you would speak to us by the power of your word and through the power of your spirit and fill us with the joy of the resurrection. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In our sermon series in Matthew's Gospel, We have finally come to the moment in Jesus' ministry where he dies on the cross and is buried. I think the basic takeaway from this text is Jesus' wrath-bearing death for our sins anticipates both his resurrection and the resurrection of the saints. Good Friday anticipates Easter Sunday. If you notice, 
In verses 45 through 56, Jesus dies on the cross as he hangs there for hours. And in verse 46, he laments from the cross, crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 50, he cries out a second time in a loud voice before he died, possibly again asking God, why have you forsaken me? This lament in verse 46 means exactly what it sounds like it means. God the Father forsook Jesus His beloved Son, on the cross as He absorbed the wrath of God for us. Jesus' lament here is a citation of Psalm 22, verse 1. This psalm in its Old Testament context is a lament of David. And guess what David's doing in this psalm? He also is crying out to God. And he's asking God why he has chosen not to save him from his enemies and why he remains so far from his cries of anguish for help. David, as you know, was the Lord's Messiah. The Lord's anointed. The Lord's King in Israel. But his cries of Anguish reveal here that he believes God is far from him since he has not heard his cries for help. If you read Psalm 22 in its context, it's a psalm of lament of the righteous sufferer. And much of the psalm is a lament of suffering, but toward the end of the psalm, the psalmist cries out with hopeful vindication. Believing by faith that God would in fact vindicate him and save him from his enemies. With Jesus, the perfect Messiah, the perfect King, the perfect Anointed One over heaven and earth and the Son of God, he quotes Psalm 22, verse 1 in this text. Because God, in fact, had forsaken him on the cross. Jesus, hear this carefully, on the cross is absorbing the wrath of God for us. He's becoming like us, being treated as a sinner. He knew no sin. But on the cross of Christ, He's taking upon our sin, our shame, our guilt, that we deserved, and He's doing it in our place on our behalf so that we would not be abandoned by God and handed over to His wrath. Jesus takes the wrath of God for us so that we would not take the wrath of God for us. In the Gospel of Matthew, His entire Gospel has prepared the way for this moment. 
In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, for example, Matthew tells us that Jesus Christ came to save His people from their sins. Jesus informed the disciples more than once that He was going to Jerusalem to die and be raised from the dead three days later. Matthew 16, for example. At the transfiguration, Jesus' transfigured body was a reminder that the Son of God would enter into exalted, resurrected glory. But the cross precedes that resurrected glory. During Passover, Jesus reminded the disciples His body would be broken for them and that His blood would be shed for them. In the Garden of, Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus asked God to remove the cup of wrath from Him if it were possible. But He submitted, voluntarily submitted to the Father's will to crush Him on the cross. Because Jesus knew He came to die for our sins, to take God's wrath upon Himself for us. And now at the end of His life, as He hangs from the cross, Jesus cries out and He says, Why, God, have You forsaken Me? This is not a moment of weakness in terms of Jesus forgetting God's plan. He knows God's plan. This is Matthew's window for us into which to look to see the effect of Jesus' death for sinners. To see what it meant. And what it meant was that Jesus, in order to save us, He had to be abandoned over to God's wrath for us. If you're here this morning, and if you don't know Jesus Christ, the time is now. Salvation is now. Palm Sunday is now, but the cross is coming. And the resurrection is coming. And Jesus, hear this, if you're not a Christian, I thank God you're here. Jesus Christ absorbed the wrath of God so that you can turn from your sins and be saved from God's wrath. And that at least means there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you can be saved. There's no other hope there's no sunshine for Good Friday apart from the resurrection of Jesus, apart from the Gospel of Jesus Christ. If you turn from your sin today, you repent, and you believe that Jesus died for your sins, and that God raised Him from the dead, you can have your sins forgiven. Don't you want to have your sins forgiven if you're not a Christian today? Don't you want to be saved from the wrath of God don't you want the darkness and the gloom of Good Friday to bring joy into your life on Easter Sunday? If you don't know Jesus, turn to Him 
right now. Second word of application. Hope you've noticed, brothers and sisters, from this text that lament is part of the Christian life. Thank God that that's not all there is in the Christian life, but lament is part of the ancient Christian story. The Christian life is joy and pain. It's the darkness and the gloom and the sadness and the trauma of Good Friday. And it's also the joy of the resurrection. The past few years has been lots of pain, especially this last year, has it not? Jesus' words here remind us that the righteous, we lament. And Jesus took his lament to God. He cries out to God in this moment of pain. Are you lamenting today? The invitation is to take your lament to Jesus. Do you feel as though the Lord has forsaken you, turned his back on you during this pandemic? The good news of the gospel is Jesus is the only one who's been abandoned by God. So that you would not have to be. But the invitation today, I think, is for you, if you feel as though you have been abandoned, and by the way, I would argue that is a normal rhythm of the Christian life, to feel as though you've been abandoned by God. The invitation is, is tell the Lord you feel that way. Lament. And, and then ask Him to fill your heart, to fill your soul by the Spirit with the joy of the resurrection. When Jesus dies on Good Friday, there is darkness and there is gloom. But Sunday morning is coming. It's not darkness forever. I don't know how long this pandemic will continue. I don't know how much more difficult it will be upon your mental and physical and spiritual health. But I do know that, that Sunday morning is coming. Amen? It's coming. The darkness that surrounds the earth because of the gloom of the crucifixion, it anticipates sunshine on Sunday morning. His death anticipates His resurrection. But brothers and sisters, it also anticipates our resurrection. Notice, for example, in verse 47, some of those by the cross in verse 47, standing near Jesus, they hear His lament to God. And they thought He was crying out to Elijah to save Him. Elijah the prophet is the one to whom they think Jesus is praying. Remember that in Matthew 17, that Jesus is at his transfiguration. Moses and Elijah appear to him and they tell him, Luke tells us, about his upcoming departure, his upcoming death. 
Here at the cross, some say that Jesus was asking Elijah the prophet to help him. And maybe they did this because Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 say that there's a day coming when Elijah will prepare the way of the Lord. However, what they failed to realize was, and what Matthew emphasizes was, chapters 1 through 3 says that John the Baptist was the coming of Elijah. He was this last great Old Testament prophet, John the Baptist that is, who prepares the way of the Lord. He's the Elijah-like figure crying out in the wilderness that the Lord is coming and Jesus is the Lord whose way John the Baptist was preparing. And Matthew makes it clear that when Jesus cites Psalm 22 verse 1, that he's not calling out to Elijah, he's crying out to God. In verse 48, one of those standing by the cross offered Jesus something to drink, while others, according to verse 49, urged him to leave Jesus alone to wait and see if Elijah would come to help him. In verse 50, notice it, Jesus cried out again, likely in lament right before he gave up his spirit and then he died. But his death <laughs> is not the end of the story. Verses 51 through 53 state that multiple supernatural events happened at the moment of Jesus' death. In verse 51, Matthew states that immediately the veil of the temple was torn in two pieces from top to bottom. As you know, in the Old Testament, both the tabernacle and the temple had a place where priests could go and a place where only the high priest could enter. This place was called the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was behind a veil. It separated the presence of God from the people of God. And only the priest could enter there. The Holy of Holies was the place where God appeared over the mercy seat to receive the blood that was sprinkled over the mercy seat as an act of atonement for the people as well as an act of atonement for all of the ornaments and instruments that had been defiled because of sin. Jesus' death split open that veil that came down in front of the mercy seat. And the Holy of Holies to separate the presence of God from the people of God. Jesus, His death opens the pathway to God for every tongue and tribe and people and nation that repents and follows Him because of His death and His resurrection. When Jesus dies, barriers between God and the people of God are torn down. We see this articulated by Jesus after his resurrection in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, when he tells his Jewish disciples to make disciples of all the nations, not just the Jewish nation. If you read further, verses 51 and 52. 
Just notice some of the things that happened. When Jesus died, the earth shook. Rocks split open. And tombs of dead people were opened. Many bodies of dead saints were resurrected. Verse 53 says, They came out of their tombs after Jesus' resurrection and entered into Jerusalem and appeared to many people. I would have loved to have seen that. Actually, no, I would not. You imagine... You go to a funeral on Thursday. Jesus is crucified on Friday. The people that you honored when you attended their funeral, they resurrect on Sunday. And they show up at your house and they say, I'm back. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, Do not play games with Jesus Christ. He resurrects the dead when he dies. And he himself resurrects. And his death and resurrection guarantee the resurrection of dead saints. And they guarantee that those of us who live and die following Jesus, we will resurrect and participate in eternal life in the age to come because we have begun to participate in eternal life right now. Death cannot keep saints in the grave because it couldn't keep Jesus in the grave. The hope of the resurrection... Is present even in Jesus' death. For Christians, even as we grieve, we have the promise of the resurrection to sustain us and to carry us through our grief. I've shared this with you before from this pulpit. In August, my wife and I lost our 12 week son. He died. He would have been born this past week on March the 23rd. The older I get, the more I realize life is just one journey of sorrow mingled with joy. We all are living Good Friday where there's gloom and darkness. But hear me, what sustains the Christian It's the joy of the resurrection. I'm convinced there are many things in this world that bring pain. But I don't know how many of those things compare with the loss of a child. Not able to hold that baby. But what sustains? The resurrection sustains. Y'all hear me this morning? The resurrection breaks in to the gloom of crucifixion Friday. Even in the moment 
When the devil thinks he's defeating King Jesus, he's losing. When Jesus dies, even in his death, the devil loses. Sin loses. The grave loses. Because resurrection is coming. And you know what? It's already begun right now. Eternal life is not something for which I'm waiting. I have it right now. By faith in Jesus. And it sustains us. That's why I said earlier, if you're lamenting today, you need to run to Jesus Christ with that lament. Because He's the only hope to give you eternal satisfaction. Well, verse 54 The Gentile centurion recognizes something just happened. (laughs) That's my paraphrase of the verse. Something just happened. He recognizes that Jesus was the Son of God because of the earthquake and all that, that happened once he died. In verse 55, faithful women were watching Jesus from a distance until the very end. In verse 56, Matthew mentions specific eyewitnesses because his audience very well could have known these women. You notice in verse 55, Matthew says there were many women there, verse 55. Now, we know in the Gospel of John, or at least John the Apostle was there, the beloved disciple. But think of the story. At this point in the story, many of the men, they're hiding out somewhere scared to death. And you have these faithful women following him up until the end. Now, I don't think they quite understand what's going on. I think they're following out of loyalty. They're following out of loyalty to Jesus. And they're grieving, and they're right there by his side until, until the end. Let's look at the names. In verse, let's just say their names, verse 56. You have Mary, Magdalene who's there. You have another Mary mentioned in verse 56. And there's a statement about the mother of the sons of Zebedee. I think this is a very important word for us to consider for a moment. Hear this word, Sojourn Midtown. I pray that our church is a church that is a church that loves and respects and honors our sisters in Christ. That honors all women, in fact. Because they are created in the image of God. I pray that we are a church and will continue to grow in becoming a church where our sisters are heard, seen, loved, valued, celebrated, and honored because they are created in the image of God. And we as men must not let our God-given leadership responsibilities hear that. I have a certain responsibility as a man, a leadership responsibility as a man. But we as men must not let our God-given leadership responsibilities or our male insecurities 
keep us from honoring and treating women with the respect and the honor that God gives them by virtue of creating them in his image. Does that make sense? Do I need to repeat it all? Perhaps there are men in this congregation who need to repent and apologize by the way you've dishonored by your words and your actions women in this congregation or women in your life. We need to honor our sisters in Christ and all women and not just on Mother's Day because not all women are moms. Women are worthy of honor and respect because they are created in the image of God. Some of the most courageous and faithful Christians throughout history and in this church have been our women. You take women out of a lot of churches, those churches would struggle to carry out their mission. I've been a member of this church for a while. I've noticed that when you ask folk to volunteer and sign up, there's some faithful brothers here. I'm not trying to shame men. I'm a man, remember? But there are many faithful sisters who are quick to sign up to serve this body. Faithful to this body. We have a responsibility to honor that. And to make sure, and I think we do this well. I'm not indicting our church. I think we do this well. We don't do it perfectly. But I think this is a place where our sisters, I hope you feel encouraged to use your gifts within the parameters and the boundaries within which God has given you gifts to use them. And I hope we men feel encouraged and empowered to use our gifts within the boundaries within which God has given us to use them. On the gloom of Good Friday and the darkness of Good Friday, you have faithful women, verse 55, who served Jesus, Matthew said. They were watching from a distance. Finally, in verses 47 through 61, Joseph of Arimathea, a follower of Jesus, took the body of Jesus and buried it in a freshly cut tomb. In verses 62 to 66, the priests and the Pharisees worked with Pilate to make extra sure the tomb was secure so that his disciples would not steal the body because they remembered that Jesus predicted his resurrection. And so Pilate granted them permission. I don't know if you caught it, but this story drips with irony. The Gospel of Matthew has told us more than once that Jesus will die and resurrect. Jesus, in our text, he died. And at the moment of his death, dead saints resurrected. These deceivers called Jesus in the story a deceiver because he preached that he would resurrect from the dead, which their own scriptures said would happen. And these guys actually think that they can Stop the resurrection from happening and keep the message of Jesus' resurrection from spreading. <laughs> Let me give you a little secret. 
when a dead man dies and when people resurrect from the dead, chances are you're not going to keep that man dead for too long. Are y'all with me? No one in this world, no one in this world, not death, hell, the grave, the devil, not your enemy, no one can stop what God has said he would accomplish in the death and resurrection of Jesus. No one can stop that. Matthew 16, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Yes, there's gloom and darkness and sorrow and lament. But the resurrection breaks into all of that. And God uses even death and lament to work out his will and his purposes for his people scattered throughout the world. So brothers and sisters, hear me this morning. Draw comfort and encouragement from the fact that Jesus Christ promises and gives us the joy of the resurrection. That's next Sunday sermon. I can't just talk about death today because resurrection is coming, right? You feel depressed, lonely, insecure, broken, uncertain, join the club. There's a lot of that to go around. And we have people here who want to walk with you through that. And one of the things we will do, the most fundamental thing we will do is, is we'll say, fix your eyes on Jesus. Hold on to things in this world with a loose grip. Cling to Jesus, who has begun the process of restoring everything that Adam and Eve lost in the garden. And if you don't believe that, you're going to have a hard time persevering in your faith until the end. So brothers and sisters, believe by faith today that Jesus' wrath-bearing death for our sins in his victorious resurrection from the dead, guarantee that those of us who follow him until the end will have our sins forgiven and we will participate in the resurrection. When I'm dead, if I die before Pastor Jamal, he preaches my funeral, y'all leave knowing that there's a resurrection coming. Amen? And that's the spirit today. To help you hold on to that truth by faith. Because that's the only thing that's going to carry you through this pandemic. Beyond this pandemic. Into the age to come. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we do pray. That the gloom and the darkness of crucifixion Friday. Would not. Swallow up the joy of Easter Sunday. We pray that you would work these truths in us so that we would believe by faith.
And where our faith is weak today, Father, would you please strengthen it? And would you please put people of God in our lives, this church, that will help us strengthen our grip on the gospel? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Each Lord's Day, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And by your seat, there's a cup of juice and a wafer there. But before you partake, let me explain a few things about what this means. Jesus, he shared a meal with his disciples and he broke bread. He said, this broken bread represents my broken body, which will be broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. And then he shared some wine with them. And he said, this wine represents the blood of the new covenant, which I will shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and drink. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn in Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit SojournChurch.com slash Midtown.